My name is Robert Schreiner, and I've just written a novel called The Wolves and the Greyhounds, and you're listening to The Jay Franzi Show. Welcome to The Jay Franzi Show, a behind-the-curtain look at the entertainment industry with insights you can't pay for and stories you've never heard. Now, here's your host, Jay Franzi. And welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me today. This is going to be a great episode. It's going to be a great episode because we get to talk to England's fastest rising film producer. That's right. She has brought you films like Jake, Brooke, and her latest for the love of Eve. Today, my friend, we get to talk to Molly Leavers. She is a producer, a director, and the founder of Spirit Productions. We'll talk to her about her career, her influences, and we'll take a deep dive into her new film, For the Love of Eve. And don't worry, I'll include all the notes, the links, and the photos at jfranzi.com slash episode two. Now, let's get started. Molly, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I am very good. I am very excited to have you here. I'm excited to be here. You've done so much. I've worked in the entertainment business for... 30 plus years now, and I've always had the reputation of being a workaholic. And you, my friend, I think are going to give me a run for my money. (laughs) So let's just dive into it. I mentioned you are the founder of Spirit Productions. Can you just go ahead and tell us how that came about? That was created alongside my first short film. So it started in 2019. I'd been acting for a few years, and then I decided that I was really interested in the behind the scenes of things and I also wanted a kind of outlet to be able to talk about issues that young people face and and everything like that so I created it at the same time as the first short film and then it just kind of went from there. So you did start as an actor and you transitioned over what was it about acting that you didn't like or what was it about production that you liked? I think it was a time in my life when I was about 15 when I made my first film and I had been kind of bullied at school. And then as I came out of school and as I came out of that situation, I think I needed something different and I needed that kind of outlet to be able because there was there was a lot of emotions still involved and there was a lot of kind of anger involved still because it kind of there was no kind of comeuppance for for what they did or anything but I needed an outlet to be able to kind of say okay if I can't kind of change my own situation I want to be able to hopefully have an impact on other situations so I was still I was still acting at the time actually when I when I first made like short film but then it it was kind of just like a gradual transition I I realized that I just enjoyed being behind the camera more and I think it's because I was able to kind of be creative without having to worry about kind of what I look like or anything because your own head gets involved in stuff like that and and you kind of instead of seeing it for what it is then you you focus so much on on what you look like or what you sound like or anything so to be able to kind of create films it kind of took that out of the creative process. You're right you're 100 percent right I can only imagine that you get inside your own head with what you look like how you're coming across mm-hmm. and you're not focusing on the actual technical side of things. So I know um, Rachel Talley was a big influence of yours. Can you tell me why? So I started watching Dot Two when I was about five, I think, and it was it was my dad who got me into watching it. So I blame him now for, for my obsession with it. When I was little, I always wanted to kind of like be in the TARDIS and be a companion and everything and then as I got older it it became I wanted to to act in it or act as a companion or or then when Jodie Whittaker became the doctor like the possibility of of playing the role of the doctor became available and then as I kind of grew a little bit older and when I hit my teens I saw that Rachel Talley was was directing Dot Who and although I knew that obviously women could be directors it was never a, a job that I'd seen kind of 
for myself, if that makes sense. I'd never seen it with my own eyes. So then when I saw her name under director and I started researching her and everything, that was when that became a possibility. And it, it was a good few years after that that I kind of started looking into directing and everything. But that was kind of where the idea started for me, I think. Now, she had a good run in the, the horror genre for a little while. Does that influence you at all? I'm terrible with horror. I am such a wimp. I have a um, a filmmaking group on a Wednesday for for young people, and they are one of them is has just written a horror script, and it's amazing. And I'm I'm so happy for him and everything. But I I don't know whether I'm going to be able to watch final film because I'm such a wimp. I really wish I could because there were there's so many horror films from like a like a cinematic point of view that are amazing and I'd love to be able to watch it but I just I have to close my eyes I can't <laughs> that's funny I, I grew up on horror movies but I haven't really watched any lately but I always loved them from Friday the 13th and so on but she did the whole Nightmare on Elm Street series and that was always a favorite of people growing up and I think I was just falling out of it right about that time so it's probably mm-hmm. probably a good thing <laughs> let's get into one of your movies let's talk about the trauma series Let's talk about Jack. That was my first short film, and I can't actually remember where the idea came from. I remember writing it, but the kind of the idea to make a short film or something, I cannot remember how that happened or what I was doing. Or And I've really tried, and I've really tried to remember, but, but I just can't. I think it's because it was something that I was supposed to do, so it was almost like placed in my head for me to do. But yeah, that was, I kind of, I wrote that in a whirlwind few days, um, not thinking that anything would ever kind of come of it because I'd never made anything before. So I was very, very out of my depth. But yeah, I I had a a wonderful cast and so many people that were helping and everything. And that was all about knife crime. We filmed that in 2019 over about four days, I think. It was at the end of the first day of filming that I was like, okay, this is it. This is like my life now. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, you, you took on a very serious subject. So is that something that your area was going through? I'd recently moved. I'd moved a few months before. I'd moved like from the Midlands to Oxford and and I I hadn't really lived in Oxford long enough to know about kind of crime rates or anything like that. But I always knew that it was something that was an issue when I was growing up kind of in the Midlands. And I knew kind of further north as well that it, it was a massive issue. But now it seems to be an issue wherever you go. But yeah, it was kind of it was something that I knew that went on. And it was you'd always kind of read it in the news and and everything you'd read about about young people getting stabbed and and you'd hear about kind of friends of friends that were getting stabbed. And I think it almost becomes like dehumanized now because it's so common. And then it was only when I moved that I thought this, this can't be happening. You know, this is, this is terrible. The fact that it's across the whole country now, when it's such a massive issue, it's almost kind of blending into background noise so that's kind of why I wanted to to go with it for my first one. In the States here, we deal with gun violence and gun crime. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of odd to hear about knife crime. And I'm assuming that you probably don't have a large gun population in your area. No. <laughs> so do you feel that that plays into why people are carrying knives? I think it's a vicious cycle, really, because I think a lot of people carry knives to protect themselves from people that are carrying knives. And then other people are carrying knives to protect themselves from. And it's it's just it's constant and it's that constant cycle. But it's it's incredibly difficult because who who do you target? Because you don't know who the first person was to carry that knife. So it's it's incredibly difficult to kind of get to the, the root of the issue because it's it's so it's so common now it's so common for young people to carry knives and and whether it be because they want to it's very rare that they're carrying a knife to because they want to go out and stab someone a lot of the time is they're carrying it to prevent them from getting stabbed but then the thing that I showed in the film was that the main character carried a knife to prevent him from getting stabbed but then he stabbed someone else by accident and it was yeah it's it's very difficult. It's, it's such a, a cycle that young people are, are living in now. Yeah, I don't want to give too much away for your 
movie, but yes, there was the violence and he did end up stabbing somebody. Mm-hmm. But do you find that people are carrying the knives, it's more of peer pressure? Yeah, I think there's a lot of peer pressure and I think there's a lot of kind of gang culture in a way, um, whether it be like actual gangs or not, or whether it just be kind of that mentality. And and I think it's 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 just such a difficult situation because I think that most people involved are blameless in a way, because even though, okay, yeah, they're carrying a knife, why are they? Is it because such and such is, okay, who's who's the bad guy here? But there isn't really one because everyone is is kind of being a victim to to this kind of mentality in some way. And it's, it's very difficult to be able to determine kind of what people's intentions are. I can understand that too, I guess. You think you're carrying it for protection. It could come off as the peer pressure, but either way, you're carrying a knife and you you probably shouldn't be in in that particular circumstance. In that movie, again, I don't want to give anything away, but at the end of the movie, Chloe does something I was not expecting. So it's a very well put together short film and I really enjoyed it. Thank you. So when you were done with that movie and and it was out, how did that make you feel? It was... It was such a a weird feeling because I, even as I was filming it and everything, I was kind of in a daze because obviously I'd seen other people make films and I'd seen other people work on projects and everything. And I was kind of, I'd been on set a few times as, as an actor, but even as I was filming it and editing it and everything, I was still thinking, I can't believe this is like, (laughs) that, that this is like my film that is so weird, but it, but yeah, kind of watching it, watching it for the for the first time, like all the way through and everything, it was it was difficult because it was I'm I'm very critical of myself always, like no matter what. So a part of me was like, oh my god, like this is this is my film, this is insane. And then the other part of me was like, you need to change that, you need to sort that out and everything. <laughs> so I had to go back and I had to do a few edits to just kind of like to to calm my mind down a little bit stop myself from from noticing things and then it just kind of snowballed when it kind of caught the attention of the police and everything and and I just I just couldn't believe it because obviously at the time I'd only recently been bullied and cyber bullied and everything so my confidence was like on the floor but yeah it was kind of it it was such a, a brilliant thing because I had people I mean my family have always been wonderful but I had people outside of my family kind of saying well done and that they were proud of me and everything and it kind of it was very healing in a way kind of all of the the stuff that had gone on before kind of got pushed a little bit further into the background by like the good stuff that was happening now so yeah it it was just it was a whirlwind but it was brilliant well, I'll tell you, it was a very good film, and you should be very proud of yourself. It came out very Thank well, you. and I'm glad it's getting the attention that it is. But you just mentioned something that I hope you don't mind talking about, and it's the the bullying portion of it. Mm-hmm. And I only ask because I have three daughters now, and I have one that's approaching your age. And mm-hmm. you have any advice or suggestions or thoughts that you might be able to give to anybody out there that's going through something like that? I think it's knowing that, that you are never, ever on your own. And your experience with things is valid because I I struggled for because it it went on for about a year and a half two years ish, including kind of all of the stuff online, and I almost felt dramatic for the way that I felt about it because I wasn't getting punched I wasn't getting kind of attacked or anything like that it was never physical it was always kind of verbal and and rumors and everything but that can hurt just as much as as a black eye because it is it, still kind of it's still bullying and it's still affecting your life so I think it's not diminishing how you feel kind of because other people may have it worse so other people always have it worse but you could all, always have it worse than other people so kind of uh, no matter how small the situation is because I, I so wish I would have kind of nipped it in the bud before it got kind of bigger like that first kind of feeling I got in my stomach where I was like something isn't quite right here I wish I would have kind of listened to that more so listen to your gut and don't try and 
be someone else if that makes sense kind of because I I'd been homeschooled for quite a long time and then when I went to school I really wanted everyone to like me and I think that that possibly contributed to it quite a lot because I was kind of I was a bit of an easy target but then once it's done as well don't blame your younger self for it because the only reason you wouldn't let let it happen now is because your younger self let it happen but it's not about letting it happen it just kind of happens (laughs) right you don't have any control of that you don't know what you're going to do at that time you've never experienced it now you you just mentioned also it's not like having a black eye and it's not because if you have a black eye the pain goes away within a day or two pain of being bullied doesn't go away or at least it doesn't go away quickly so how did you get over it it was it was other people really it was it was the support of other people and it was just kind of building myself back up again because I felt like I'd kind of been a little bit dismantled from it and and kind of learning about who I was and the way I wanted to be treated and and kind of having more self-respect for myself rather than kind of letting people walk all over me and and say things and everything so I think I'm definitely a lot more fiery now which probably isn't good no it's really (laughs) good filmmaking as well it it was it was such a pivotal time for me and I was very lucky that about six months ish after I left school I I enrolled in college and everything in like specialist apartment for people who have been bullied and everything and was that gateway yes yeah I mean, the people who work there are absolutely wonderful and, and they kind of helped build me back up because it's it means so much when someone outside of your family is kind of supporting you and, and is saying that you're doing a good thing. Because even when it's your family, and I'm very, very lucky with my family and I'm very lucky that I've got kind of wonderful people around me and I know that, that not a lot of people have that. I think there's always kind of a, a thing of, you take on what they say and you appreciate it and everything, but there is a kind of thing in the back of your head that's like, are they just saying that? Cause that's my mom, <laughs> you know, but when it's on outside of your family, <laughs> it's, it, it just, it means so much. So it, yeah, it was definitely kind of having people kind of rally around me in a way and build me back up again. I was very, very lucky. I know you still have some involvement with gateways. So can you tell us what it is and what they do? So Gateway is a alternative provision for 14, 16 year olds. People can be in Gateway for many, many different reasons. It can be like bullying like me, or it could be kind of mental health issues, or they've been excluded from school, or they could have behavioral issues or or young carers. Or So it's kind of, they don't have a one size fits all approach, which is seen in a lot of kind of secondary schools you gain GCSE qualifications so that you can go on to like other courses within the college or I went on to uni afterwards but yeah they're brilliant and they're very they're very big on support and they've recently won an award for kindness towards their students and everything but yeah they're just brilliant. Was Brooke the next movie in the series? So Brooke was um, based on my own experiences at school and everything that happened because it was when I was working with the police um, the PCSOs that I was working with said, because I I was explaining about what happened at school and everything, because it was still kind of happening at the time. There was a lot of stuff online and everything, even though I'd moved like 180 miles away. But he said, why don't you kind of make a film about it and then you can take it into schools and everything. So I I kind of I decided to do that and I used a lot of messages that were sent to me and I used a lot of comments that were posted about me and everything in the actual film and I kind of reenacted things that happened. And I kind of, I mean, I, I had to make it a little bit more PG <laughs> than, than it actually was uh, because obviously I wanted to take it in schools and everything. So I wanted to make sure it was like child-friendly but still kind of got across what happened. But yeah, but that was that was the second one and then I was able to take that into schools as well. I was just going to say that. So you talk about children. So you, you take these movies into school. Mm-hmm. How does that work? When you take them into a school, is it a presentation style? This was kind of before lockdown and then kind of lockdown put a kibosh on it. Um, but I used to do assemblies. So it would be kind of like the morning. And then me and a PCSO would go 
first I would talk about my own experiences or, or my kind of stance on on whatever we were showing and then we show the film and then he come in and he'd talk about kind of the legalities behind it and everything about the police's stance so it was it was really I mean it, it was brilliant for me to be able to kind of talk about things that I was passionate about and and to be able to show my film and everything but then it was also good to kind of show students police and a young person kind of working together to to try and help other young people if that makes sense kind of bridging that that gap but yeah that's I mean I've recently moved to Kent but but that's something that I'm hopefully going to be starting here too which is very exciting. No I mean this is very very good I mean it's very good that you're doing these things it's not just for the quality of your movies which are very good but it's also the message you're getting out there and the ability to go into these schools and share that message because you are not the only one who's gone through these things. And like I've mentioned, I have daughters, and I think that they're going to be faced with these same type of things. So the more we can get the word out, the better. And I hope that they're able to make it through with a little less pain because of the efforts that you're putting through. Thank you. Let's just end here with Zoe in a toxic relationship. That idea came from my former English teacher, actually. She um, she was talking about it and she, said, and she asked me whether I'd ever considered making a, a short film about it because there were a few ideas that I'd had in the works, but nothing really settled for me, kind of. And there were issues that I wanted to talk about, but it didn't feel like the right time for me to do it. So then when she said that, I was like, yes, that's that's the idea that I've been looking for. But yeah, that kind of that that talks about kind of toxic relationships in in teenagers and about how that can present itself and about how that can go further as well. How kind of a really, really small thing can then become bigger and, and a relationship can become more abusive over time without being kind of physically abusive. And, and it shows more like the emotional and the mental side of abuse. But yeah, that was that was the last trauma film that I filmed, I think. I'm telling you, they're moving. They're definitely moving. They're very good quality and it's a very good message and it doesn't always have that predictable ending, which is what I like. Thank you. Let's, again, take it a step further. I know you have another series out, The Woods. Mm -hmm. This one, to me, it's different because it seems very similar in the way it's shot and the way it feels. Mm-hmm. but the message is different per episode. Mm-hmm. So can you tell me, is that something that you planned? Is that a thought process that you went through or is it something that just happened? I knew that I wanted to do something possibly a little bit shorter because I filmed that in between Brooke and Zoe, I think. Um, so kind of Brooke was about six or seven minutes and then and then Jack was about 15 minutes I think so I knew that I wanted to kind of go the the shorter side of things so I wanted to release it on social media and I wanted it to be kind of accessible to people and I know that, that if people are anything like me I, I can't watch anything for more than five minutes I just I just zone out I'm terrible but um that woods was local to me at the time and during lockdown and everything me and my parents and and my family would always go for walks there and a lot of the time that was when me and my mum would kind of talk about things and I'd talk about kind of what was bothering me or or things that were happening and everything and I was thinking okay a lot of people have been going on walks recently and a lot of young people have been going on walks obviously there's nothing else to do so kind of I wonder what their situations are like and I wonder what they're thinking about so I kind of wanted it to be almost like a a talking heads kind of thing so that was where the idea came from almost like an insight into what everyone had been thinking about over over kind of the lockdown period and I do I get the feeling like when I'm watching the movie that the character is talking to me (laughs) I feel like I'm involved in the I mean it's a short film but I feel like I'm involved from beginning to end (laughs) so the way that it's filmed and shot as you're walking through the woods, mm-hmm. that's your constant. That stays, but the story changes. The person changes. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us about the first one? Yes, mm-hmm. I do. I do remember that. Yeah, that was kind of, that was one of the last ones that I filmed, actually, which is ironic because it was the first one that came out. But that one, 
I mean, Belpass, who who is the the person who who's the main character, she is amazing. She's so talented, and she kind of took this idea, and and she completely made it her own and everything, which which everyone did throughout the series. But I think it was it was something that I thought was very important at the time because obviously there were a lot of people. I was seeing over social media that that hadn't come out to their parents yet or were perhaps living in in households where it wasn't allowed or they weren't accepted or or they were getting they were getting kind of verbal and emotional and mental abuse for for being the way that they were so I knew that that was something that was on a lot of people's minds and it it was it was a real issue at the time I mean it's it's an issue anytime but it, it was so kind of amplified at that time because people couldn't leave the house they couldn't get out they couldn't go to to the safe places that they had whether that be their friends or or whatever so so yeah it, it was something that I thought was very kind of paramount at the time no absolutely and again I know it's her job to make it feel believable but it mm-hmm. feels believable I mean I feel like you're just watching somebody telling you their story as you're just two friends walking through the woods and she's talking about her parents and I guess the thing that makes it feel real to me is she she's talking about her parents and how they don't understand. But then at the end, she comes to realization that maybe her parents would understand. Maybe it's not her parents. Maybe it is her. Mm-hmm. So it had a, a great story and it just came together really, really well. So I don't know if you're planning to film your your movies like this, but they do have a feel to them and it feels different than anything I've seen before. I know there's a reason why you're being nominated for awards. <laughs> Again, congratulations to you. Thank you. So let's talk about episode two. This is the young gentleman who is coming to grips with his feelings. <clears throat> that was something that I'd kind of seen quite a lot recently, like because obviously a lot of people during lockdown were struggling with their mental health and it and it was really difficult. And I knew that kind of the the suicide rates were were really high. And I know that obviously male mental health is something that isn't spoken about a lot. And it's still quite a I mean mental health as a whole is still kind of very stigmatized. But male mental health specifically is such like a taboo topic. I have uh, male family members who suffer with their mental health and everything. I can see the difference. I can see kind of the difference in the way that they speak about it or the way that they kind of convey the way that they feel. And I think that there's so much kind of embarrassment involved and, and whether that's from peer pressure or whether that's from kind of society, I don't know. But it's definitely something that needs to be spoken about more. And I think I think everyone should be able to kind of talk about the way that they feel and everything without feeling embarrassed or or worried or anything. No, it's funny because I'm probably about at least a year or two older than you. And I know when I grew up that that was something that just wasn't done. You don't talk about <laughs> your feelings. You don't share your, your personal thoughts. And I also grew up in a, not the toughest of areas. I was, I grew up in a suburb of Boston, so it was tough, but not as tough as being right in the, in the city center. But it's still, it wasn't things you shared. It wasn't things you did. So the fact that you're bringing a light and shining a light on it is just impressive. And what's more impressive is the fact that you recognize it yourself and that you're taking the time to go ahead and shine that light on it. Because most people oversee it. They don't look at it. They don't notice mm-hmm. the, the male point of view for it. So very good. Thank you. Now, I, I mentioned briefly that you're being nominated for awards. You just had a script that was nominated for an award, right? Mm-hmm. So what's that feel like? I, I I still can't believe it. I still kind of, there's still, it's very, I think it's very imposter syndrome. Cause I had the, the organizer ring me the other day um, and it was to kind of sort out the tickets and everything and, and to make sure that I'd received everything. But as soon as I saw his name come up, I thought, oh God, they've made a mistake. I thought this is, <laughs> this is it. This is when they, when they're like, actually it was Holly Leavers that <laughs> was shortlisted, <laughs> but but yeah, it's, I mean, it's just, it's so, because obviously like with films and everything like that, you can have people watch them and you can have people enjoy it. But for someone to to read your script, which is, it is quite hard to visualize sometimes and it's quite hard to kind of 
get your point across in a script because obviously a lot of the time I write my scripts for for me to film so I kind of I don't have to think about it too much and I just kind of because I've already got that idea yeah but to kind of to have someone else read it and want to understand it which is kind of that was like yay (laughs) but for someone who works for Ridley Scott's company the creative director who whose film has been nominated for a BAFTA and everything I sat there and I was thinking oh my god like someone of that caliber saying that that my script deserved to be shortlisted I still I I can't I can't wrap (laughs) my head around it (laughs) it's insane you mentioned imposter syndrome I mean do you feel now that it's deserved I don't know it's 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 so odd because it's I'm I mean as I said earlier I'm very very critical of kind of what I do and everything I think it's because it means a lot to me so if if it didn't mean a lot then I probably wouldn't care so much but but because it it's something that I'm so passionate about I really want it to be the best that it can be but yeah it's kind of I'm still I'm still kind of pinching myself over it because I I I just wasn't expecting it because I kind of I knew that the company was massive for kind of championing filmmakers and people who work in marketing and everything like that so it it was more a case of I submitted my script because the brief about the egg I had an idea for it and I thought oh I'll write that and then I'll do something with it later kind of thing not thinking that that anything would ever come of it but but yeah it's I mean it's insane I can't can't wrap my head around it well, that's awesome. I'm, I'm glad you feel that way. And I'm glad you're excited because it's, I think it's that passion that we can all see. We can see the passion. We know that you're excited to make these films and you're excited to share these films. You have a very large social media presence and you seem to take pride in that. And you share your experiences with the people who follow you. And I, I think that right there shows people that you're dedicated. But I think you're still early in the early stages of your career, very early stages of your career. And for you to have films that, that take a different approach in getting recognized for it. So it's not just that you came up with some quirky way of doing something and people, and people are like, okay, great. You came up with a different way of doing something and people like it. They seem to be enjoying it enough to nominate you for awards and so I really can't say enough about it. And I, I hope that you start winning these awards and and get recognized even more. Before we jump into our deep dive tonight, I want to just ask you, you, you also started to get recognized by the major radio stations in your area, the BBC and so forth. Mm-hmm. Again, that's got to be a milestone for you. It is. It's kind of every, every kind of, it's, it's it's another one of those things where uh, I'll be sat there and I'll be thinking, okay, is this happening? Kind of because I, it's so hard to to wrap my head around because I think it from the first film and everything, everything has been such a whirlwind and and it's kind of amazing things are happening and everything and and sometimes I sit there and I think, oh my gosh, you know, it's it's and, and I'm just so grateful that I'm able to kind of have opportunities that I do and I'm able to kind of meet the people that I do and, and work with the people that I do and everything because I know kind of that the years and years ago kind of when I was at school and everything I never ever would have one had the confidence or, or two believed that that something like this could happen so yeah it's it's kind of it's it's almost I'm almost doubly thankful for it because it means so much to me personally. I mean, it, it means so much to me kind of professionally, but but personally as well, it kind of has that that deeper meaning. So again, you mentioned confidence. So do you feel your confidence is building now? I think so. I think it's, it's difficult because I'm, I think it's confidence in kind of, I don't know how to word it but it's I've always been okay with kind of like talking to people and everything I could talk for England like I will, if people don't shut me off I just won't stop talking um but that's that's always been fine I think it's more the confidence of knowing that everything that was said to me at school and everything that was posted online and everything like that the confidence of knowing that it wasn't true 
because even though I could kind of even though people told me that it wasn't true and even though I kind of I knew surface level that it wasn't true there's still kind of that that feeling in the back of your head that's like but is it so I think it's kind of it's the confidence of that and and knowing that each kind of good thing that happens and and even down to kind of when a friend messages me after I've got news or something like that and and says how they feel about it and says that they're happy for me and everything kind of even stuff like that kind of pushes all of the stuff that went on further and further backwards and and it then gets replaced so that's great it's got to fuel that fire inside of you Mm -hmm. and I know you go back to referencing the the bullying and the the things that you had to go through and again that's something that nobody should have to go through I'd like to go ahead and take our deep dive tonight. We typically take a deep dive and focus on one particular project. And this particular project for you is for the love of Eve. So let's start with the idea. How did the idea come about? I'd always wanted to do something about county lines kind of uh, for about two years, actually. It was it was an idea that was in the works. And I originally wanted to make it into a series and, and hopefully kind of have it as as a TV series and everything. But then I, I knew how difficult that would be, and I knew that that would kind of be years and years in the making, but it's such, it's such an issue now. So I, I thought I want to kind of condense it and make it into a, a short film and then possibly look at kind of doing something bigger in the future if I'm able to, if I've kind of got my foot in the door with with people that could kind of help make that happen and everything but I knew that I wanted something to take around schools and I knew that I wanted something kind of as the issue was happening and and kind of have it now rather than waiting waiting for however many years it took to kind of make it into a tv series well just for those who don't know and I'm sure we can all assume but living here in the states when I first heard the county lines comment that it doesn't doesn't exactly tell me what it is. So can you tell me what the struggle is with county lines? So county lines is is basically when uh, drug dealers and uh, people that are involved in kind of drug dealing and, and drug taking and everything like that, a lot of them will live in, in cities like London and, and kind of main cities and then using kind of trains and everything like that, then they will they will target more rural areas. So kind of Cotswolds and, and kind of small towns or coastal towns or something, kind of places that, that perhaps the young people are there uh, might be a little bit isolated. So when, when someone comes along and they've got like, a really expensive car and everything and they're like 19 20 or or they're earning all of this money then there's a lot of grooming involved from then and it's a lot of kind of like you can make the same money as me if you get involved in this and everything so they use a lot of kind of the the train lines to to deliver the drugs and and to kind of almost have like little mascots in each area for for drug dealers when i think of it i think of you know the movies that probably help me develop my vision of crime and drugs. But I'm sure, and just judging from your movie, it's not what we think. It's not, you know, a mafia type character that's you know, on a train delivering drugs. We're utilizing children to, mm-hmm. to move drugs back and forth. Mm-hmm. So before we get to that, the cast itself, how did you come up with the cast? What kind of process do you go through selecting these people? Because you're doing a very good job and you're taking people who are very good at their craft, but are also very believable in the position that you're putting them in. Yeah, it's, it kind of, a lot of people I, I knew already through social media and everything, a lot of people that I'd spoken to before and and perhaps hadn't worked with, but kind of knew of, or they were a friend of a friend or, or something like that. Um, and I think I never really have a clear idea of, what a character will look like as I'm writing. Um, I just kind of have a kind of a vague outline in my head of kind of their general vibe. And then an actor will come along and I will just know instantly that they are the character and everything. And I've been so, so lucky with the casts that I have because they are all so talented and they are so brilliant because 
obviously a, a script is just words on a page it, it doesn't mean anything but for them to kind of take that and and to to make it into what it is and and create it and everything a lot of the time I will have an idea of what I want the film to look like but but they will take it kind of above and beyond that and they will they will offer suggestions that I haven't even thought about or because I think that because obviously I used to do acting as well I have so much trust in them for knowing their characters because kind of once I've written it and once everything's cast and everything I see their characters as them now so I feel like they know their characters more than I do because I've just kind of set the foundations and then they can build off of it so yeah I mean they're all they're all absolutely brilliant and it's it's kind of you make friends for life really when you're filming you must now, do you hold a casting call? I mean, I know there's some people you know and you're finding through social media, but are you bringing them in or are they auditioning? A lot of the time it's done through kind of watching show reels and everything because I I don't think I could hold an audition. I think I'd be too I'd be too nervous because I've been on the other side of it, so I know how nerve-wracking it is. And I think I I think I'd get too nervous. Sometimes it's been self-tapes if there's kind of like a specific character that that perhaps kind of the actor show reel has been more more kind of Shakespearean and everything like that. And I just need to see kind of how they act kind of more contemporary wise and, and in that situation. So I'll kind of send over an extract from the script or something that they then kind of read and send back to me. But yeah, a lot of it, I have like a, a list of emails actually <laughs> on my laptop of people almost like a mailing list so people that have kind of asked to be notified about castings or something because there's been a few times where I've put them out publicly but I try and not do that anymore because there seems to be a lot of hate surrounding casting calls I don't know why specifically on Twitter there seems to be quite a few <laughs> quite a few um big opinions about about casting calls and everything like that so I kind of I try not to do it publicly or if I do it publicly I'll do it kind of like a something on my story or something like that so that people can't comment directly or anything because I think it's it's almost like I almost get a little bit paranoid because of everything that happened at school I'm like (laughs) don't don't be mean to me (laughs) it's crazy how the internet can be so good for some things and so bad for some others I know. It's terrible. While we're talking about the characters, can you tell me a little bit about Georgia and the girl that played Georgia? So Georgia was played by Cosy Hunt, who is just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And Georgia's character is kind of very complex I think because there was there was there was a joke with all of us when we were filming and everything that that as the film progresses and as we were filming it, we realised that Eve's character, who was supposed to be kind of like the good one and everything, isn't actually that great. Like she does a lot of things that are a little bit iffy and she can be quite kind of, she can put Georgia in quite difficult positions, but I kind of, I didn't want the characters to be likeable. I didn't want it to be kind of like that and I didn't want there to be a, a bad one and a good one. I kind of wanted them to both have their flaws like Georgia's very kind of very headstrong and and will kind of say things without thinking and and might kind of judge people for the situations that they're getting in until she gets in them herself um so I definitely wanted very kind of flawed characters because I think that that's more realistic and it's more human that, that no one's perfect and and even people that are very very against kind of drugs and everything like that they can still get involved because they're trying to protect the people that they love. No, that makes sense. And you mentioned love. It's, it's a form of a love story. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, I guess, a love story that's diverse. Did you intend it to be diverse? Did you write it in that way? I, I, I knew I always wanted two female characters. I knew that that was kind of the the main goal but then the the plot for me started off being about county lines and everything but it's as I was writing it and as we were filming it even that for me it became more about Georgia and Eve but then it also became about Eve and her brother and it became about kind of all of these family dynamics and, and these relationships and everything 
I realised that, that one of the main elements of situations like that is the fact that people will do things for, for the people that they love that they might not necessarily do kind of on their own. Because it was as I was writing and everything, and it was as I was learning about county lines, that I thought to myself, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get involved in drugs, I wouldn't get involved in drug dealing or anything like that. But then I thought, if my sister came to me, my younger sister said, Molly, you need to, you need to sort this out for me, else I'm gonna get hurt or someone's gonna like kill me or something. I wouldn't think twice. And I probably shouldn't say that publicly, <laughs> but I wouldn't <laughs> because I th- and I don't think a lot of people would if it if it's kind of if it's if it's your your siblings, especially when it's someone younger, if it's your siblings or children or, or your parents or or anyone that you love coming to you and giving you that kind of option, I think for me there there wouldn't be a lot of options, and I think a lot of county lines and a lot of drug dealing in general has almost become seen as like, oh, it's them like delinquents and everything that, that are dealing the drugs and everything, but it isn't. If you look at the root cause of why people get involved in stuff like that, it's so upsetting and there's always someone higher up and everything. And a lot of it is down to kind of their environment or the people that they're around or, or kind of getting involved accidentally like Georgia does. No, you, you make some great points. And again, I have children. If my children came to me with those type of situations, I'd be in the same same spot. Mm-hmm. I'd help my children through anything. And you hope that you're making the right decisions and you hope that your children are making the right decisions, but you never know what's behind that decision and mm-hmm. who's influencing that decision. And if it's a relationship or if it's a friend, that also a relationship, but if it's a romantic relationship, those things seem to be a little bit more pressure mm-hmm. and the pressure to help out and the pressure to just, just can you help me out and do this one thing for me? Or, mm-hmm. And then next thing you know, you're transporting drugs across a county mm-hmm. line. So talking about the, the cast and the story, is the story something for you that is always fluid? Does it always change up into the point where it's, it's done? It's, I always have like a, a solid draft and then it's only kind of small things that get changed after that. But a lot of the time, a lot of the concept will change quite kind of drastically. Like the idea was originally something to do with TikTok and it was to do with kind of the the TikTok online trends and everything. And it's it's something that I'm definitely going to go back to in the future because I think it's something that's that's kind of really difficult right now. But at the time, I just kind of, as I was writing it, I just I kept feeling like I was hitting a brick wall and I was thinking you know something isn't quite right here because the idea with the TikTok one was that half of the film would be from the perspective of the phone so kind of the TikToks that were being filmed and everything like that so I knew I still wanted to kind of keep that concept and I wanted to keep that kind of alternative thing where it's phone and camera so I kept that and then I, I changed it to my county lines idea that had kind of been sat in the back of my mind for, for quite a while. But I knew I kind of I wanted something a little bit different and I knew that I wanted it to be kind of kind of half on a phone and half on a camera and everything. And that kind of conveying that in a script, that that took quite a lot of drafts and that took quite a lot of working out because I'd read it and I was thinking this doesn't make sense like I know it makes sense in my head but I was looking at it and I was thinking it just doesn't flow enough and then something will just kind of click and then that'll be it and then I know that okay this is the foundations and then I'll just kind of change spelling mistakes (laughs) after that you say that you you just don't know and, and you're going through that mental challenge but do you ever like technically wonder how you're going to pull something off? Honestly, every time, <laughs> absolutely every time, I kind of I'll I'll write something and I'll look at it and I'll be like, is that actually physically possible? And I'll be like, I'll find out on the day. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. So a lot a lot of things do change on the day of filming. A lot of the time, the script isn't like with actors and everything I'm not I'm not really really strict on the the scripts I want them to kind of say what they feel and everything if they want to change things and that's absolutely fine with me 
but there are a lot of things that kind of change and there's a lot of locations that change and everything so we kind of we went from it starting upstairs and then we were like no it needs to start downstairs so so yeah there's a lot of kind of there's a lot of changes like that that happen because it's only when you kind of get there on the day and you look at everything and you're like no that's not possible we need to we need to find a way to make it work those are the small changes you're talking about mm-hmm. all right so we're talking about putting it down on paper we put that together that rough outline and then you go onto the setter you you make it to that point where you're starting to make the small changes after it's on paper what's the next step that you take so once kind of the the actors are attached and everything, then it's kind of working out filming dates, which is possibly my least favorite part of filmmaking at all. Because no one's available on the same day, and I um, I'm terrible with dates anyway, and I get things mixed up. So I have to kind of have a about four calendars in front of me, kind of <laughs> being able to correlate everything. But yeah, but once you find the kind of the the because we were originally supposed to film the weekend before. But I moved house like a few days before and I was I was looking at my house because we were filming in the house. I was looking at it and I was thinking, no, <laughs> this this cannot happen. So we had to push that back. And then kind of once once we weren't living out of boxes or anything, we kind of we had the house back. And then once we kind of have the, the filming dates set in stone and everything, then it's about kind of looking at times and then call sheets and everything. Then it's filming. It's all go. Is there any rehearsals or anything beforehand? Any table reads? I did a table read for my first short film, actually. I really enjoyed doing that. I did that in person. I didn't do one for for the most recent film a lot of it is I'll put everyone in a group chat so that they can kind of meet before kind of a little bit and then we can kind of discuss certain things and everything without kind of taking people's time by getting them here or because a lot of them are kind of across the country and and in loads of different places so I won't want to kind of have them have them travel another day or anything like that or take time away from them by like getting them on a zoom or anything but I I I do I would like to to kind of start doing table reads over zoom because I think it'll be really interesting to kind of see how they take the characters first and then see whether they change that when they get there almost kind of like a more of a social experiment (laughs) than anything you really are relying on these actors to to really develop the character, giving them a foundation, and they, they help that character grow. Mm-hmm. All right, so now what kind of equipment are you using? Where are you getting the equipment from? Or do you have people working behind the scenes? This was my first short film, actually, that, that I had someone helping me crew-wise. Because for my first two short films I had I had one of the cast members Maisie she was my first AD which was brilliant but then obviously when when she was filming her scenes and everything then I was like a one-man band it was and Lyrian who I who I've worked with for for a few years now on a few different projects he was my first AD and everything and and he helped me with kind of boom pole and and everything like that and then it just so happened that that on the second day of filming one of the actors couldn't make it so he had to kind of be one of the characters at last minute which which was really really fun but yeah it's kind of it, it was really good to kind of have someone behind the scenes as well and I had Anna who is very very talented and she um she wrote the song she, didn't she did yeah she she wrote the song and she sung it and everything she had she had James Cox he did like the song arrangement and everything like that so kind of them both together was was amazing because it's the first time I'd I'd ever have kind of like a a soundtrack written for it so that was really really exciting but yeah there were there were more people behind the scenes with this one which I really enjoyed because it's kind of I mean physically as well is is easier because you kind of you're filming things and then holding things and everything and you're tripping up and and everything so to have someone there to help is it's definitely a lot easier and then obviously to have someone handle the music and everything it yeah it was it was really really brilliant experience I can only imagine. I've spent like 30 years in the entertainment industry, but it was on the music side. We would do music videos, which are kind of like little short films, but we don't have to go to the extreme that you're going through. But part of the things I'm wondering about is like filming things cost a lot of money. 
And so a lot of time and a lot of money. Do you have financing or are you self-financing these films? A lot of it is is self-finance. And I'm hoping that kind of as, as time goes by that I'm able to kind of get in contact with people like Screen South and everything like that to kind of come on board with projects or the BFI or or anything like that. But a lot of it I've kind of relied on people being willing to kind of give up their time to to be in it and everything, which I'm very, very thankful for because it, it never would have been made because I didn't have kind of those when I first started and everything, I didn't have those kind of contacts or I didn't have that kind of prospect and everything, but I really, really wanted to kind of get the issue spoken about. So I was very lucky that everyone who's worked on a film has has also been passionate about the issue and everything. So I, it's, it's been a very like collaborative process, but yeah, it's kind of, I've been very, very lucky. So for those performing in the, the film, you're paying them whatever you can and they're donating their time outside of that. But those behind the scenes and the equipment that is needed behind the scenes, are you renting equipment? Are you purchasing equipment? Are you working within just a certain basket of equipment you might have? That's been a a collection that's been kind of growing over the years, kind of every, every like Christmas or birthday or, or anything like that. That's kind of been, the go-to for family and everything for me to they know that that it will be kind of like weird cages that I can put my camera in or or something like that but yeah it's definitely been kind of a a thing that's grown over the years because I wasn't originally supposed to be filming it it was kind of my first short film I had a, a cinematographer attached to it and everything and it was the night before that he cancelled on me kind of at 11pm the night before. And I I mean, I cried. I was sat there crying, thinking, oh my God, what am I going to do? Because I had people travelling like two, three hours and everything. I was thinking, oh, I can't cancel at, at this time. And But I, I luckily had a camera because I'd been doing photography for a few years before. So I thought, okay, let's let's try it and let's give it a go and everything. But I, I was very, very happy that I did because I think it gives you such like a, it's such like a a creative outlet to be able to have that in your control as well when you're directing things. So not only are you directing something that you've written, so you kind of understand it better and deeper, but also being able to film it as well. It kind of it 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 makes it a little bit easier because I know exactly kind of how I want it to look and what kind of angles and everything. But, but yeah, I think in the future with things kind of, cause I'd love to be able to, to work more on factual things or documentaries or anything like that. I think in the future, I'd love to have someone film it to kind of take that pressure off a little bit, but for short films, it's kind of ideal for me to, to film it or to have people help me film it. That's a good point because that's like in, in Brook where you had a camera shot that was coming down and looking down on the kid being bullied. Mm-hmm. Just that angle gave a different feeling to the scene, mm-hmm. a little bit more powerful to feel like you're looking down almost godlike on these people as she's knocking the books off of the girl's desk. And it just made a, a, an impact and it's all because of the camera angle. So things like that really make a difference. So the fact that you're learning that and able to apply that is great. Now let's take it to the editing side. Are you doing all your own editing as well? Mm-hmm. So you truly are a one-man band. <laughs> Literally, yeah. <laughs> all right. So I, I, I believe you're using Premiere. Uh, what am I using, actually? I think I've used that before, but I think at the moment I'm using Final Cut. I prefer Final Cut, but I, I used to use Premiere myself. And this was just when we were not doing movies. <laughs> by all means, just things that we were doing around the studio. However, was that a learning curve for you? It was actually something that I'd been doing kind of way before filmmaking. I used to have like a, a editing account on social media where I'd kind of edit Doctor Who and TV shows and everything. So it, it's something that I started in, in 2017, I think. So a, a good kind of two, three years before filmmaking became a thing. So I think it was kind of, it was a learning curve because I'd never edited something like that. I'd always kind of taken clips from from TV shows or I'd kind of moulded them in a certain way or done like masking or anything like that. So I think that 
that when I came to to edit in a film, it was different because it was it was a lot more uniform than I was used to. But yeah, it was kind of I was excited for it because I knew kind of I didn't have the stress of having to learn how to edit or anything because I was already kind of I knew the programs and I knew how it how it worked and everything. It was something that I enjoyed anyway. But I think it's definitely with each film I've kind of learned more about how to how to make it look better and everything like that. Because I think that there's so much to say about what happens when a film gets edited and kind of the difference that editing can make and everything. But but yeah, it was kind of it was something that I knew that I enjoyed already. But yeah, I I will admit it's very time consuming. <laughs> It really is. And I mean, I just skim the surface when it comes to using that type of software. I work in the audio world, so I dive deep into the audio software. I use Pro Tools for that. Mm-hmm. However, when it comes to video, I just scratch the surface. I don't do color correction. I don't do any of those type of things. And it was funny, you mentioned before you had editing software online. And my daughter came to me the other day and showed me a trailer for the movie Titanic. And I was like, oh, I've seen the movie. I understand. No, great. And she's like, no, no, look, watch it. So I watched it again. I'm like, yes, I've seen the movie. And she's like, I did that. And I'm like, what do you mean you did that? She went out and found all the clips on her own, and she put together her own trailer. Oh, my God. So I was like, okay, you know, hands down, <laughs> you, you, you win. But when we go back to, to your movie, like you choose some really unique lighting and choices like you switch from color to black and white and mm-hmm. that again it's something that seems so simple but it creates an emotion is that something that you're thinking about ahead of time I think it's kind of when I get to edit it and everything I know that kind of it's almost like the final hurdle so I think I I go from from what I feel is right for it. Like sometimes I'll kind of, I'll put a colouring on or something and I'll look at it and I'll be like, no, that does not, doesn't, I mean, the colouring's fine, it looks fine, but I'm like, it's not, it's not the film. It's not, it's not the way that it's supposed to be. So yeah, I kind of, I, I experiment a lot with it. And I think that it's kind of, it's all of the, the different things and everything. Sometimes it just kind of clicks into place and, yeah, it's kind of, it's a lot of experimenting. It's a lot of kind of try, trialing things out and, and working out what feels right for the film. A lot of the time is is same as how it is when I'm writing the script, that that something will be okay, but won't feel right. And then it will just kind of click and then, and then that will be it finished. That's funny. I, I completely understand. I experiment a lot when it comes to the video side. Kind of in the audio side, I think to myself, I know what I want, and I just go for a tool that I think can create that. Mm-hmm. On the video side, I try something. I'm like, yeah, I don't like that, or I'll try this mm-hmm. and, until I find it. It's like almost like an Instagram filter to me because I, mm-hmm. I don't create the filters. I just experiment with the filters. All right. We like to, to end here with a little segment that we call Unsung Heroes. Do you have somebody that's helped you on your projects that is not in front of the camera, somebody behind the scenes that has helped you that deserves the spotlight? I'd say, aside from my parents and my family and and everything, I'd say that someone who is a massive unsung hero for me is Lisa, who I will send this to her actually so that she can see it. Uh, But she was my teacher when I was at Gateway for about, two years I think um and then we kept in contact but but she has been outside of my family she's been the biggest cheerleader for everything and kind of is always kind of watching the films and everything and and sharing things and and kind of commenting on things and everything and and she was kind of the the first person outside of my family who I had spoken to about kind of everything that happened at school and, and everything. And she was the first person that was, that was like, that's really bad. And I was like, okay, maybe it is. But yeah, kind of, I'm, I'm very, very grateful for her support and for everything and kind of, kind of the, the ideas that I've had and everything. Like I, I'm doing a, a theatre production soon and the idea came from her and everything because, and, and the script as well, because that's about kind of, 
a teenage pregnancy and everything, which obviously being a teacher, she's encountered. So I ask her the weirdest questions for kind of market research. So um, so she's put up with a lot from me, a lot of kind of, I'm writing a script. This is a really weird question, but do you know about this? But yeah, definitely. I, I think she's brilliant. Lisa, my friend, thank you. If it wasn't for you, I have a feeling we wouldn't have these great films. Miss Molly, my friend, I can't thank you enough for joining me tonight. Do you have any final words you'd like to leave us with? Thank you for having me. I've really, really enjoyed it. Well, it has been a blast having you here. You are awesome, my friend. Now, I may be biased, but I would say that's another great episode. Have to give a big thanks to Molly for joining us tonight. She is such an amazing talent and what passion for filmmaking. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. And thanks to you for tuning in and being part of the show. I really do appreciate it. I know that there are so many other shows you could be listening to. So really, thank you. If you enjoyed this show, please share it with a friend. Hey, and if live, uncut, uncensored episodes are your thing, head on over to our YouTube channel. And remember, you can always keep the conversation going or reach out to myself over at jfranzi.com. And on that note, have a good night. Thanks for listening to The Jay Franzi Show. Make sure you visit us at jfranzi.com. Follow, connect, and say hello. This episode has been brought to you by VR Knives, your source for 100% custom knives made by a true rock star. So if you're in the market for a new piece of art, reach out to VR Knives. 407-421-5528. 407-421-5528.